In today's show, I'm joined by Keandre from Hoop Intellect on YouTube. You've seen it, one of the best NBA draft channels around. We're talking a few NBA draft prospects. Of course we are. We are too. Who are we actually talking about? That's a good question. We're talking about Kobe Bufkin because he's got some thoughts on Kobe. We are talking about, as my screen fails to load, Nick Smith, Derek Whitehead, Andre Jackson Jr., and Grant Nelson. It's all coming up. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble, on TikTok at RedRock underscore Beeble, and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use the code LockedOnNBA for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. Lots of draft stuff coming this week, some more team review stuff, another mock draft coming this week as well. So I'm looking forward to getting all that content out. But now we're going to bring in Keandre from Hoop Intellect. Again, you need to check out uh, Keandre's YouTube channel. So many great prospect breakdowns over there. So we might as well uh, might as well get him in right now. We can talk some, uh, talk some players. All right, here he is back on the show. You know him from Hoop Intellect. Keandre, welcome back. Hey man, appreciate you having me on the show once again. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. You're on again. Uh, you're on last year, and we're here back again to talk NBA draft prospects. We've got five guys that we're going to talk about as we uh, as we move through the th- move through the show. But what we'll start off with first, I'm asking everyone who comes on, is the top five picks in the draft. What are you going to do if you've got the option to pick for those five teams at the start of the draft? What would you do one through five? Yeah, so obviously number one is a pretty uh, e- easy tax to cover. I think the draft kind of starts at number two. So obviously San Antonio will be getting Victor Wembanyama, franchise-changing talent. We all know uh, what he brings to the table. At number two, things start to get very interesting. you got Charlotte um, obviously having LaMelo Ball there. I think, and this is just my preference, I think Scoot Henderson is a clear second-best player in this draft. So I would take him, and then you just figure out kind of things, uh, the logistics of everything. You know, LaMelo has proven himself to be a a very good off-ball player and been able to, um, you know, navigate things that way. I think they would complement each other a little bit better than they've been kind of discussed lately. Um, So that's where I go at number two. Um, number three is a, is an interesting one, obviously, because Portland, the situation that they're in, they seem like they want to kind of trade that pick. Yeah. Um, but obviously, if they were to keep it, um, I think I would go with Brandon Miller here. I think that he slots in most easy, and he's somebody who I think is going to contribute very well uh, immediately, at least in comparison to some of their other options here, um, especially alongside a guy like Dame, who they're trying to still maximize if they were to keep this pick um, and also have like the future of Simons and Shaden and all them to kind of kind of run with him. So that's where I go at number three. And number four, I would probably select Amin Thompson. I'm very enamored with his upside as a super athletic lead guard, somebody who can um, make plays and, and put pressure on the defense in a defense in a few ways that we've seen from uh, a lot of prospects. So that would be kind of the, the pick at number four. I like the combination of him and Jalen Green in the backcourt. They still got some things to do. You know, James Harden might come there, you know, um, kind of puts a, a wrench in a lot of things long term. But that's a, a good uh, 
potential pick there. And then Detroit at five. Got a lot of options here, um, especially in that forward spot. Somebody who can kind of complement what Cade and, and Ivy and all them bring to the table. I probably go with Cam Whitmore. I like Cam Whitmore a lot. Um, I think that he's he's dynamic. I love his athleticism. I think he plays well off the ball. Has some creation upside as well. So that's where I go at number five. I know that it, yeah, the Pistons had the worst record. They fell down to number five. I actually don't. I, I don't think they can almost go wrong though at pick five. So yes, it'd have been great to get Wembenyama or to get Scoot or whatever. But at pick five. I still think they've got a chance at getting maybe even the third best player in this draft when it all shakes out. And there's about four or five different guys they can pick there where they'd pick them and go, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like it could be Whitmore, it could be Walker, it could be Hendricks, it could be Asar, Thompson. Like if any of those guys they pick there, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that's fair enough. I think you can make an argument for any of those guys to be at pick number five. So I don't, as much as Pistons fans are bemoaning the fact they dropped, I don't think it's a terrible spot for them. Yeah, I think it's actually, you made a lot of good points there. That's what I think as well. Like, you know, everybody from Taylor Hendricks to Sar Thompson to Cam Whitmore, Jairus Walker, like you've got a lot of options here. Mm. And I think that they all complement, you know, the guys that they already have there. So I think they're in a pretty good spot, all things considered. Obviously, you don't want to want to be at five. No, look, you would have preferred to be one or two, but it's not it's not the end of the world. It's not a situation where there's only three players in the draft with this elite talent and you've fallen outside that area and you're going to be stuck with someone who doesn't make a difference to your franchise. They're still in a pretty good spot in that regard. So what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about these five players. We want to start with a guy that you are a little bit higher on uh, than consensus. So we're not sleeping here, Keandre, on Kobe Bufkin from Michigan. Now, one of the other analysts I had on last week, Richard Stamen of Locked On NBA Big Board, was similarly high on Bufkin, and I have yet to be fully convinced. Richard turned me a little bit. I moved him up a few slots on my board after talking with Richard, but what is your argument for Bufkin? How high do you have him? Yeah, I've seen some mock drafts have him even as high as 10. Are you going to go that high on him? Yeah, so Kobe Bufkin came in at, I believe, number 12 on my recent board. Um, so somewhere in that kind of 12 to, to 14, 15 ish range is where I have him slotted uh, most comfortably. But I think the main pitch with, with him is just kind of this guy who has a, a really well-rounded skill set, somebody who can affect the game in multiple ways and also, you know, take on a number of roles at the next level. Um, and, you know, you look at what he's able to do defensively. Uh, at the point of attack, being able to to hound guys and being able to recover very well, and and also have you know some of the best hands on the ball coming up with pokeaways, and um, I'm actually working on his scouting report at the moment, so uh, this is all kind of really fresh on my mind. But you know, being able to turn defense into offense, and then also kind of the strides that he took offensively, being able to to be more of a pick and roll ball handler uh, over the course of the year, as you know they had went down with some injuries, you know to Jeff Howard, Llewellyn. Um, taking on some more of those responsibilities, being able to get to the pull-up, finished at the basket at 71%. That's a rate that's on par with guys like Zach Eady and the Hunter Dickinsons, the Drew Timmies of the world. Um, so, you know, you kind of look at his all-around skill set, being able to affect the game in multiple ways, play multiple roles at the next level. He's somebody who I think uh, just makes a lot of sense. Now, obviously, he's going to need to uh, continue to develop physically. Um, that's going to be the biggest thing for him is continuing to, to add strength. That affects most of his his areas that he's not the best, the best at right now. Um, and then also, you do wonder at least slightly in terms of, like, him not having an, an elite skill yeah. offensively at the moment. And being able to 
um, you know, be like a, this this super creative guard um, and being able to just like create a whole bunch of rim pressure. But I think that he's shown enough. I like his stride length. I think he's a, a good enough athlete to be able to get to the bucket and convert at a high level. And then I think that, you know, there's been a lot of questions about his shot. He shot 36% on catch and shoot threes this year. Somebody who, you know, again, has been able to, to show that he can get to it off the dribble some and then also be able to knock down um, spot ups at a, at a good clip as well. So I think you're looking at somebody who has a, a well-rounded skill set and makes sense in the, the modern NBA as that, you know, sort of combo guard to be able to take on different roles. Well, that's what I was going to ask you in terms of being a combo guard, because there are a few of those guys around that area in the draft. Keontae George is a player who might go in that area. A guy we're going to talk about a little bit later who, if it was up to you, wouldn't go in that area. And that's Nick Smith as well. Could be around that in the, the teens. There is sort of a combo guard sort of a player. We all can call guys combo guards and say they do certain things, but they often lean one way or another. Like, you know, you know Lou Williams, Bones Highland, Jordan Clarkson. These guys are combo guards that can run the offense a bit, but what they do is they look to score. Or there are other combo guards who can play up positions, but they look to pass more. Like, where where does Kobe sort of sit on that that scale? Is he more of a creator or is he more of a uh, get out of the way, let me score sort of a player? I th- I think that he's more he's more creative base. I think that he's like you look at, and this is like a sort of a rough comp, but like you look at what Derek White does. I okay. think that he's got higher a higher ceiling to reach offensively at least. We've seen it in flashes and stretches from Derek White, like, you know, being able to take on him a little bit more. But, like, being able to, to run the offense, get out of the way, you know, be able to cut, move, attack quickly off the catch, those type of things. I think that he probably, at the moment, or at least based on what we saw in college, probably slots more into off guard. But I do think that there is potential there to take on, you know, some more of those pick and roll responsibilities, being able to to kind of, you know, act on some of the flashes that he showed as a creator, especially down the stretch and, and kind of, you know, fully flesh out some of those things as he gets stronger. So you look at Kobe Bufkin, he's only 19 and a half. Like he's obviously really young, but yeah, that belies, right. belies the fact that he's a sophomore. Like he played two years in college. Mm-hmm. So he was hyper young as a freshman. What were the, what was the biggest improvement from year one to year two at Michigan for Bufkin? Man, uh, everything, honestly, like the first year you could really tell that he stepped onto campus as a 17 year old. Um, you know, he did improve physically. I think he weighed in at a 186 at the draft combine this year. So kind of up about 10, 10 pounds from where he, he showed up. Um, just being able to to kind of have more confidence with the ball and being able to to affect the game in, in multiple ways. That's really what is really everything. Like, I know that's kind of a cliche answer, or an easy answer to say, but, you know, everything from shooting to um, handling things defensively a little bit better and just kind of taking on those uh, responsibilities and, and, just kind of showing his game off more. That's just what he did in the sophomore year. We're going to get into a player that you're a little bit lower on in a second, but before we do that, today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. You're looking for tickets to events in your area, sporting events, comedy, theater, musicals, whatever it is, Game Time is going to have those tickets available for you. You don't need to plan this stuff months in advance. They have flash sales, they have last-minute deals that will come up and say, hey, something's happening tonight, why don't you grab a ticket to it? And that's the, the best way to go about doing these things. They've also got their lowest price guarantee. So if you find a ticket in the same section, same row, for a cheaper price, they'll refund you 110% of the difference in that price. There's event cancellation protection, job loss protection as well, and you get the views from the seat. So you click into the, the app and you have a look to see what sort of view you're going to be getting from that particular seat that's available on game time so don't waste your time preparing this stuff months in advance get it done with game time with their flash deals their last minute tickets all the protections they have there as well and 
They don't send those tickets straight to your email because you know, searching through an email when you get to an event's not there. Bang, straight into your phone, straight onto the app so you can just dig them up straight away. No waiting, no mucking around. Tickets are there. All these protections, all these great features. So download the Game Time app, create that account, and use the code Locked On NBA. You get twenty bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code Locked On NBA for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right. Nick Smith Jr., a guy, and we're going to talk about a couple of guys on today's show who came into this season as unbelievably high high school recruits who are not going to be going unbelievably high in this NBA draft. And Smith is one of them who has just an, honestly, it's pretty smelly, those percentages, 47% true shooting, 38% overall. He was dealing with some injuries through the season, but you know, two assists, two rebounds, only 74 from the line really high usage. I know there's issues with spacing and context and all that sort of stuff, but it sounds to me that you're you're not quite buying the level of hype that he came into the college season with. Yeah, you know, he's just been one of the tougher guys for me to evaluate this year. And, you know, obviously those injuries really factor into that because we weren't able to see him necessarily fully healthy or we don't know how, how healthy he was at certain times or points of the season. Um, so that's kind of the base of, of everything uh, context-wise. But, you know, coming into the year, he was already a guy who we kind of worried about the rim pressure or we wanted to see how much he can get to the basket and not rely on that floater to the extent that he does. Um, and that was still there. That was still something that he um, heavily relied upon. Um, I'm not the biggest fan in terms of his like creativity on the perimeter in terms of like just pure shot creation being able to get to certain things um i think that he is uh solid and really excels when he's able to to be in more of a off-ball type of role being able to attack quickly get to that pull up um but like some of the the threshold that we kind of need for those like elite combo guards or those elite scores um i didn't necessarily see that in the biggest way this year and then again we kind of come back to the the injuries and i think most people who are still very high on him place a lot of emphasis on his pre um college tape and, and what he showed before that and what made him a, a potential like top seven ish guy coming into the year but for me it's just very hard for me to like still keep him in that top 10 ish to, to to 14 range um at the moment i just don't have a ton of confidence in that and i'm i'm very I'm very open to being wrong about it because I understand like the 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 injuries could have played like a major role in this. But um, in terms of like just risk, and I think there's just some other options in that sort of range that I would rather go with. I'm not super low on him yet. Like I know you have the draft range down to to 36. I think if you have him, if you get him at the end of the first round or um, in the beginning of the second, I think you're everybody's clapping and cheering. But like more in like the 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 early 20s to mid 20s that's kind of the range i'm most uh comfortable with him yeah i can't remember where which mock draft i saw that had him mocked at 36 but that, that does seem pretty like mm-hmm. aggressive to, oh no it was on the it was one of the most recent no ceilings board they had him way down at 36 a lot most of the other ones are sort of in the teens for him some in the 20s uh i think i've got where do i currently go i think i've got him 20 and i've got him 19th at the moment so around that mm-hmm. back well yeah the, se- the second half of the first round it's interesting when you look at like high school recruiting stuff like at the espn top 100 from last season the top three players in it are nick smith Derek whitehead and Derek Lively, and probably none of those guys are going to go in the top 12. And, you know, there's a chance that none of them go in the lottery for this draft. So just showing that some of the things that can change between high school and heading into college, and we've had plenty of uh, players who have been highly 
touted coming out of high school that do struggle through college and then in the NBA and you see little Cam Reddish like Amani Bates in this draft as well came in without that high recruiting pedigree um we asked the question about Bufkin but like what's Smith's position is he you know probably a combo guard can he be a one or is he going to be primarily an off-ball player do you think yeah, I think that he's probably best slotted into being a two, honestly. Um, and then obviously you have to guard twos, well, depending on the lineup. You know, there's yeah. certain certain guys who um, are able to get, guard both and kind of add to your versatility there. But just based on what he showed this year, I'm not super confident in him as a overall creator and especially as a playmaker and passer for others. That was a thing that I think was you know lacking even more than some of the scoring stuff that I feel like he showed in flashes uh, throughout the year. Um so I think that he's probably best slotted into the into that point. And, you know, then you have the questions about is he better suited to be more of a six man at his best um, for that reason? Those are the kind of questions you've got to ask. And that's why he's more in that, you know, 20-ish range somewhere near where you have or a little bit behind. What do you think of him defensively? Is he going to get traffic coned? Is he a guy that can, you know, show a little bit more there? Is it effort? Is it concentration? Like what's what's the defensive upside? He was he was pretty rough towards the end of the season, especially in the tournament. I was, you know, obviously not very impressed there. But again, you know, battling through some of that, I think that he can be better than what he showed this year. Um, I think that he certainly got the frame to add, you know, more to his to his to his body. And I thought there were points earlier on that he wasn't um, necessarily as he didn't stand out as much in terms of like being picked on or you know on ball screens he was getting uh, caught up every single time or you know things of that nature so I think that he he can be better and at least serviceable or at least you know just to the point where it's not like a extreme liability but it's definitely something that um, I don't necessarily see him being a great defender at the next level his game log is pretty wild when you look at it there's like multiple games three games where he scored zero points um, two games where he scored five points one where he scored six and then like he had a stretch of scoring 24-plus in three out of four games and another two 20-point games early in the season. So mm-hmm. he, had some, he had some big ones and then some games where he just either got hurt in them or disappeared and wasn't able to play. And he only ended up playing 17 games. So he did miss a significant chunk of the season, which I think is an important part. It's not that he played all season and sucked, that he missed a bunch of... He sucked, but there was a bunch of time that he missed too that sometimes getting that rhythm and it wasn't like, well, he missed you know, 20 games to start the year. He, like, he missed games, he came back, he missed games again. It was sort of stop-start and really getting that rhythm and development in a linear pro, pro, sort of process, it didn't really happen for him that way. So I, I cut him a little bit of slack there, but yeah, like the, the numbers and the production was, wasn't uh, particularly inspiring. I am now, if it wasn't for the most recent news on this guy, I'd be quite a bit higher on him. I think, and that is Derek Whitehead, another guy who came in top three recruit on the ESPN top one hundred. Um, he's still not even nineteen. He's six foot six. He's a lethal shooter. Shot forty three percent from three. So he's got the size. I think initially I had him around fifteen or sixteen, maybe. And then we got the news that he have uh, has another foot injury, which he suffered already this season. And that to me is a, a worry. Two consecutive foot injuries. What does that do for his athleticism? What does that do for him moving forward? Because uh, the shooting, excellent. Size, really strong. Like that's These are all really positives. But if that foot, even if like he doesn't really have another foot injury again, Keandre, my, my issue here with Whitehead is does it sap a degree of athleticism? Does it sap a degree of some of the bursts that he might have um, that this takes that sort of upper elite upside away from him? Because I've got no concerns with the shooting. Like it's excellent. 
And I'm, a, I'm just a little worried. I think when we see that draft range where someone had him at 34, that's just because they're really worried about that foot injury. So talk a little bit about your concern um, regarding these foot problems that Whitehead had this season. Yeah, so I think you can kind of look at it one or two ways. So on one hand, we know that he had the, the, the initial foot surgery coming into the year and kind of worked back and had to acclimate himself to the lineup and then was able to kind of fill the role around the Tyrese Proctors, the Jeremy Roaches that had already kind of formed roles um, and did it at a great level. And, you know, shooting was a big key for him coming into the year, and he, you know, blew that out. It was It was excellent from there. So you can look at it that way as a guy who was battling through those injuries and you know as he takes this next surgery is able to maybe regain some of the stuff we saw from my vert in the burst in the the vertical ability um and being more of a you know a complimentary score and at least doing some things of that nature on the wing um or you could look at it as a guy who is clearly piling up on you know certain foot injuries which are very serious uh, in this game of course we won't know from the public sphere uh, most likely, like the degree of the injury. So I think on a team perspective, knowing how much it's going to affect him or if it's going to linger or those type of things is going to be very important for his draft range and how confident you are in him being able to to make a, a full recovery because he is a guy who is um, somebody who could still be in uh, high school right now yeah. in that class. He is younger than some of those guys who are going to be in the 2024 class. So um that would be the kind of the key. So it's just kind of juggling that and what you feel about it. For me, I'm I'm a little bit more on the positive side uh, or the optimistic side in terms of, uh, you know, him dealing with those injuries and being able to play through it and being able to kind of regain some of that down the line. I think I would still take him as a top 20 prospect, even with everything that we've, you know, kind of mentioned. Um, but it is something that teams are going to do their due diligence and could swing him in a, in a variety of ways. Yeah, I've got him 20th at the moment as well, and that's probably a five or six spots lower than I would have if it wasn't for this second surgery on his foot. But the age thing is really key, and I know I harp on about age all the time, but he's, he's two years younger than Brandon Miller, save for about two or three months. Like that's In two years' time, he could be you know, a, a guy that's coming out as a alleged freshman like Miller or even the Thompsons. Like, though, that's, that's a huge difference. And I think he might be the second or third youngest player in this draft class behind Gigi Jackson and maybe James Nagy. Um, so he's got that on his side. So if it is, you know, it is an issue with the foot for sure and the surgeries, but you know, even if it takes him six, seven months to recover, he's going to be 19 by the time he's back from that second foot surgery. So plenty of time to see, you know, you're not missing all of his prime and all of his development. You are getting that little bit of a bonus of, of how young he is coming into this draft. The, again, my worry with him is not that he would never recover from the injury, but does, the, does it sap just a little bit from the overall explosiveness that we saw from him before we head into the season? Because heading into this season, like to me, maybe you can you speak to this if this is wrong, but you know, it was like uh, Scoot and Vic, the Thompsons and Whitehead to, and Smith were probably the top six guys who were always in my head. These are the guys we're really looking at. These are the guys who could be easily top 10 players. Um, and then obviously that changed as the season went on. But that's that's the sort of value that he sort of had in my head heading into the season. Yeah, for sure. He was definitely one of those guys. I think even the people who were lowest on him or had those some of those creation concerns, um, or at least at, at getting to the basket or being able to do a little bit more non-perimeter oriented or um, non-min-range oriented, um, had him at like 10. So yeah. he was definitely supposed to be one of those one of those guys. And that's 
there's good reason for it. Like you go watch some of those Montverde games, him going toe to toe with with everybody from you know Grady and Sunrise to um, you know IMG, Jarris Walker, Keontae George, all of them, uh, and Jet Howard. He he was he was stand out and, and won awards for a reason. So, in terms of um... You, you talk about creation, lack of creation. There's another wing who we're not going to talk about in this show, but Cam Whitmore, who's got real trouble with like really low assist rate. Which one of these two is better at being able to like create something for others? Yeah, in terms of like creating for others, I would probably say Derek is more of a natural team playmaker. Like he's going to make reads a little bit quicker and and has shown certain things there. Um, I think Cam's ability to get downhill and score is going to open up certain things, being able to develop as a playmaker that Derek may not have, of course, going on, going back on some of the unknowns with the, the injuries and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a double-edged sword there. You kind of have to juggle certain things. I think long-term I'd probably pick Cam, but in terms of like just, you know, swinging the ball, um, you know, doing some of the little things, Derek is probably a little bit more naturally uh, inclined there. Let's move more towards the second round of the draft now. And let's go to a guy that, you know, I posted some stuff about my big board yesterday. And one of the questions I got was, hey, you're uh, you're lower on Andre Jackson, a 21-year-old wing from Connecticut, six foot six, probably a second round guy, but I've seen some people have him sneaking into the first round. But the thing with him is offense. And do you, can you do anything? Like 14 usage, 28% shooting from three, 43% overall, just no ability to really shoot. Um, obviously a really low usage player and those sort of things do concern me. Obviously the shooting can improve, but when you're that that low usage as a wing player, I get a little bit worried um, about what you bring. Now, obviously there's some really strong rebound and steal numbers and assist numbers there. They're all per 36 numbers that are on the screen, which is all really interesting. But is that complete lack of um, usage and shooting ability just going to make people pay zero attention to him? So in any sort of playmaking skills, and even the defensive skills is going to make it harder for him to stay on the court. Yeah, so like the, you, you hit on a lot of the stuff. Like for him, he's kind of a guy who I who needs to be in a great situation. Like we look at what Bruce Brown did in Brooklyn yeah. um, a couple years ago. Obviously, he's kind of transformed himself into a different player than he was um, at that point. But somebody who kind of got in where they fit in and, and was able to get to that kind of floater um, and do a lot of different things on the court around the KDs, the Kyries, the James Hardens, that kind of made it work. That's probably what he's best suited as, but you, you're right. If For a guy who isn't a great shooter, and we've seen him be not uh, an ineffective shooter over the last three years, that is a, a major question, and teams are probably going to play off of him until that changes. Um in terms of being a lead ball handler, there's other guys who do that better in the NBA uh, in most situations, right? Being able to kind of run the point guard like he was this year for UConn, that's probably not something that's going to be readily available. So you're looking at somebody who's going to have to kind of eat space in other ways, being able to get on dribble handoffs, um, kind of set screens, do things of that nature, kind of do some of the dirty work and, and open up things that way. Um, but if there's not a situation or an offense that kind of provides that, then it starts to get uh, – a little bit tougher for him to fit in offensively. So that'd be the kind of the biggest concern. I think at a certain point in the draft in the second round, you kind of want to take a guy like that and hopefully mold him and have confidence in your player development uh, in terms of getting him to be a respectable shooter. I don't think he's ever going to be necessarily good or just maybe somebody you can 
half close out on. That's kind of the the the, the goal for him. Um, and then being able to put him in position because he does have certain things that you still like the athleticism, the defense, um, the the passing ability. He's kind of able to make plays in a lot of ways. And we saw that in the NBA draft combine, even you know, in a different role than we've seen him before. So um that would be kind of the pitch with him. I'm kind of in the middle there. I'm not the highest on him. I know some people see him as like a true late first round pick. I can't get fully on board there with some of those concerns, but I do think that there is a potential to have a, a really interesting kind of Swiss Army knife type of player in there. Yeah, I'm not particularly high on him either. And part of it is like obviously the shooting is a problem. And I like you, I, I don't really see him being able to be a guy running an offense and generating all these looks for everybody else. Because part of the thing that stands out to me here is that like, yeah, averaging 1.6 free throw attempts per 36, 1.3 per game for the season. As the guy who is running as a lead ball handler, like that is just a complete lack of um, confidence in your own offensive game, which is going to be amplified even more at the NBA level. And not having any of that sort of pressure to drive or anything along those lines impacts your ability to hit people on like even someone like Ben Simmons who we know never never would shoot never but he would get to the line a ton and he would drive back when he was Ben Simmons but you know this is not what this is this is a guy that's just not getting to the line at all now in terms of defensive ability we've got a couple of analogs not quite analogs but guys that I think it's worth comparing to guys who can't shoot and can be offensive liabilities who've worked a little bit on their game in Matisse Leibel and Herb Jones who um, came in as defensive guys where does Jackson fit in terms of the defensive profile compared to those two players? Obviously, Herb has worked a ton on his offense. It's still not great, and his shooting's not great, but it is uh, probably a bit more, a bit better than it was when he came in and, and more passable. But where does Jackson fit comparatively, uh, defensively, to those two guys who are considered two of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA? Yeah, those two are some of the best wing defenders that I've seen over the last couple of years. I think he would be a clear third behind both of them. Matisse Thibel put up some of the most yep. outrageous steal and block numbers out there, even in that Washington zone, um, just kind of everywhere. And he continued that immediately in the NBA. Herb Jones was a guy who um, was able to guard multiple positions at Alabama and did it at a high level. Um, he's the guy who I'm really – I was really interested or I was really surprised that he was able to so quickly kind of find a niche offensively and, and it was able to work uh, as a shooter. Um, I think that – I just think that Andre Jackson is a little bit further behind. I think Herb was just a little better uh, offensively still, even being able to, to get to certain spots on the floor and kind of handle things. Um, so he'd be a clear third defensively, at least to me. Yeah, to me he is as well. Like I think we look at this and go, well, you know, Herb learned to shoot and did this, but it is – He's not the same level of defender as those guys who get on the court because of this unbelievable level and the other stuff sort of comes around. But if you're not doing the defensive side of things at that absolute top peak, teams aren't going to bother with it. They're just, well, you're not actually providing us that much on the offense, on the defensive end, that we're not going to be able to put up with the negativity that's coming on the other end. Whereas Herbert's like, we need to get you on the court. We need to do this. You need to provide us this, but you're going to be out there because you're providing us that level of defense. And then that leads us to you know, hopefully some more stuff happening offensively. So it is a different situation. And people also point to guys like um, a Marcus Smart, who's like, oh yeah, he's such a great defender, but he's struggles offensively and he doesn't shoot well but yeah Marcus might average 18 points a game in college and shot um you know five threes mm -hmm. a game and eight free throws a game in his uh in his sophomore year at Oklahoma State like completely different players so what you're looking at is maybe what Marcus Smart does now in the NBA is what Andre Jackson did in college and that's not what you want to do you want those guys to be higher in college and then scale back into the role and when you start from that lower area you can't really even you know, demand stuff 
offensively or, or be at that elite high level in college, then it does become a lot harder to do that in the NBA. So I think a lot of people can sometimes get a little bit um, mixed up with that sort of stuff. Now, the last guy we're going to talk about is a player that I don't even know if he's going to stay in the draft. There is some thought that he might go back with some pretty hefty NIL money coming uh, from North Dakota State. That's Grant Nelson. He's 6'11". He's probably going to be a late second round guy, but his numbers are pretty good. 21 and 11 per 36 minutes, two blocks a game, 59% true shooting, 30% usage, really put up big numbers for North Dakota State. Number one, do you think he stays in the draft? You know, at this point, I'm not sure. I would... I would kind of lean for him coming back to college and, you know, potentially going to one of those bigger schools, Arkansas, Kansas, um, with those kind of opportunities, that platform on the line for him. Um, and especially to see him in a role like that uh, around some other good players and playing that competition. Um, but I do think that he is a potential option in that late second round or, you know, a priority, you know, two way type of guy for a team because of his skill set. He is a very interesting player at 6'11. He's able to handle the ball, do, you know, certain things and make have some crossovers and, and those kind of highlight type of plays that catch everybody by surprise. And it was part of the reason that he is, you know, somebody people talk about today is because of um, some of those highlights that happen in the middle of the year. Um, but I do think that they are a little bit more flashes than they can kind of lead themselves to be on some of those highlights. Um, I think there's a lot that he has to work on in terms of like position, like where does he best slide in and and also, you know, kind of growing as a shooter and being able to stretch the floor more consistently. That's something that I think that he's going to need to, to, to really prove in the future. Um, but, you know, like for the guy like him, at a certain point, you kind of take the upside, uh, and the skill set and kind of see what you can kind of work with there. Um, and also some of the stuff that he's able to do defensively and, and kind of clean up some plays. Um, that's kind of the the pitch for him. I don't, I think most people are in agreement. There was a certain point in time this season where people were like, Oh, late first round lottery, like all kinds of stuff after, you know, he kind of started getting that buzz. But I think now that we're kind of scaled back and more realistic with it, I think this is a good range for him. And that's somebody that I think is, is worth taking a shot on. He had some decent buzz coming out of the combine as well. Like I think he actually might've measured six ten without shoes there. So it's you know, equivalent to that six eleven mm -hmm. measurement there. So he had some pretty decent buzz in the combine. But one thing that is important to note is that like people will often say, well, look at this guy, six foot 11, white guy, power forward. He must be this elite shooter. And he's not like 27% shooting from three. Interestingly, in his three years in college, the three point percentage has come down every season. It went from 36 to 32 to 27. So he's getting it done on big usage for a smaller school here, obviously. Um, what's the, what's the thought process on the shooting? Like, can he develop into a reliable guy out there? Or is he going to do most of his work inside the arc? I think that he can. I think that he will probably need to, um, at least to like maximize his his game. Um, I don't love his mechanics, but I think that they're workable. I don't think that it's anything that's like, oh, this guy just can't shoot the ball. I think that it's something that he can definitely improve on um, as a decent starting point. Um, and, you know, I think that there's a lot of things that he needs to work on and patch up, like in terms of like the big traditional big man stuff, like being able to – to make better contact on screens and 
um, just kind of learning positioning and, and where he needs to be in, in certain spots. So that stuff is still out there for him to to reach. But I think that he can be a better shooter, and that's why I do still think that he is a, a draftable prospect or somebody who should still have a lot of intrigue. Um, but it's a work in progress. Yeah, it is. There, there are flashes of things that he can do there that I that I do agree with you that can be turned into a yeah, reliable enough NBA rotation player. I wouldn't say there's any sort of star mm-hmm. upside there, but he is is isn't to me like compared to a guy who had you know, significant success in college, like a Drew Timmy, where I go, all right, I don't really ever see how that's going to work in the NBA. With Grant Nelson, I go, okay, I, I can see what can happen here. Mm-hmm. I can see what can what can change or how he can fit into these roles and how he can you know, sort of maneuver his game to be able to be of use to an NBA team, which is you know, obviously not as accomplished as what Timmy was through college, but it's about sort of translating the right skills and seeing how that stuff grows. But you know, his decision is going to come up in the next well, couple of days because it's the uh, May 31st withdrawal deadline. We'll right. see, see what ends up happening with him there. And Keandre... That's it. That'll do it for us today. Tell people what's going on over on the Hoop Intellect channel, what you've got coming out over there at the moment. Yeah, so a lot of scouting reports coming out um, until draft time, coming out over the next couple of weeks, just uh, talking about some of the guys we haven't yet, some mock drafts, big boards, all that kind of good stuff. And then I'm also over on Twitter, uh, occasionally posting clips about certain things and prospects. So um, follow me on both of those places. Uh, We'll be posting pretty frequently. Yeah, I'm sure look, a lot of people who listen to this already follow you over on uh, on the Hoop Intellect Challenge. But if you don't, go ahead and subscribe. There's plenty of great stuff that uh, Keondo is putting out. They're probably the best in the business at doing that. Thank you again for coming on and uh, and chatting to me about those draft prospects. Yeah, I appreciate it. Anytime, man. And that will do it for me today. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. Tomorrow, we're going to do the Phoenix Suns season review. Stay tuned for that one. And then more draft prospects coming during the week. Let's see, who do we have draft prospect-wise coming this week? Kaysen Wallace, Keontae George, Bobby Clintman, Ben Shepard. Oh, some really interesting players there. Um, Trace Jackson Davis, I think we're going to do this week as well. So some interesting uh, guys that are coming. Maybe even an uh, Amen Thompson will be coming during the week. So some really interesting draft prospects there. Again, on YouTube, hit the comments, hit the subscribe, hit the buttons. Hit yeah, You know what to do. Let's just do it. Guys, we're done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Say so, yeah.